objections happen. Let, let me address very clearly why objections are bad. Number one, they reduce trust, and trust is crucial. Hello, welcome to the Sales Genius Podcast. My name is Doug Davidoff. I am your host. Don't forget, join the salesgeniusnetwork.com. Get access to show notes, worksheets, tools, resources, opportunities to share experiences yourself, learn from others. All righty, let's go into the classics today. We're going we're gonna to jump on the classic. Um, I was working with a sales rep last week, and uh, he was sharing with me that he was struggling uh, with objections. He was struggling with pushback. Um, and so, you know, he asked me the question, um, hey, how, how, how can I better handle objections? Um, now, I followed the process that, that I follow when handling objections, which I'll talk about in a little bit, to learn a bit more about what the situation was, kind of where his mindset was. He was somebody, had about five, he has about five or six years of experience uh, selling, so you know, objections weren't brand new to him by, by any stretch. Um, and it reminded me of a number of conversations I used to have uh, when I oversaw sales teams on a more regular basis. Um, and, and, and the first problem that we had to deal with was we, we had to address the myth of objections. Um, now, now, the good news is I don't hear this quite as often, um, but, it, but it's still prevalent and it's still kind of guiding the way we look at as the way we as salespeople look at objections. Um, and as a result, how we uh, prepare for them, manage them, respond or react to them. So, so there's this old school thought that says objections are good. Um, I remember when I first got into sales and I attended my sales training, I was taught, you know, objections are buying signs. Objections are good. People don't object if they don't care about something. Um, you know, the danger of those myths are there's just enough truth in them to be able to believe them. I believe the myths exist. I believe they were created by sales trainers um, as a way to, instead of actually teaching the the more complex way of approaching it, we would just reframe a salesperson's mind to say, hey, objections are good. Just like when we're taught uh, no's are good. Every time a prospect says no, you're one step closer to a yes. Again, there's just enough truth in that, um, that, that you can believe it. But, but it's not quite there. Back to objections. We'll talk about the, the myth of no later. Uh, you know, let's be clear. Objections are not good. Objections are not buying signs. Now, there may be buying signs going on, and I will certainly agree that people don't typically object to things that they don't care about because they don't pay attention. Um, and objections certainly don't make it easier to close. Um for, for 20 years, I've lived by a, um, a rule of selling. One of the rules that I have lived by as it relates to objections is it is far, far better to avoid objections than to overcome them. That's one of the reasons why when I get objections, I, I tend to make note of them less for the situation itself, because I'll tell you in a minute how I address it from, from a situational standpoint, but more because I, I, I realize that objections are often... Uh, symptoms. They're often signals of something misaligned in the system. They're, they're something to be, you know, to learn from and to prepare for so that we can avoid them in the future. Now, 
it is better to avoid objections than, than to overcome them. That does not mean wait forever to get there. It doesn't mean walk away from objections. Objections happen, right? They're going to happen. They're a natural result. If humans are communicating, there are going to be objections. So don't be afraid of them. Be smart about them. Before I get into how to deal with objections, let, let me address very clearly why objections are bad, right? Fundamentally, here's what an objection does. And, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. Understand there is a meaningful difference between a question and an objection, right? And, and one thing to be careful about is don't treat a question like an objection, right? So, so there's, a, you know, there's a big difference here. Sometimes questions sound like objections. I'm talking about objections. I'm talking about pushback. I'm talking about uh, vocalized concerns. Okay. Number one, they reduce trust. And trust is crucial, right? Realize that trust is far more about making the prospect feel understood. And so when... I object when I push back, that's a, a mental sign to me that you don't understand me, right? St Stephen Covey talks about the concept of psychological error in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He, he describes that, that feeling of psychological error, that concept of psychological error as that feeling of being understood. We're, we're, we're probably familiar with the old phrase, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. Right, that's an example of psychological error. So when I object, it's a signal that I'm not feeling understood. Stephen Covey also talks about a concept called the emotional bank account, which is a great way to, to assess trust. I've also found it's a wonderful metaphor for thinking about how we manage the sales process and the likelihood of achieving successful outcomes in that sales process. Right. As a salesperson, when I create value, when I um, when I'm helping, when I'm creating clarity, I'm putting deposits into their bank account. I'm putting a deposits into our bank account. Right. When I'm reframing things, when I'm asking questions that are enable enabling my prospect to understand things better, I'm making deposits into our bank account. When I ask for things or when there's pushback, that's a withdrawal from the emotional bank account. And, and, and let's just be clear, an objection, again, different than a question, an objection is a withdrawal from the emotional bank account, right? So, so we want to be aware of this. Sometimes there are aspects that we know the prospect isn't going to want. There's something about our solution that's not quite a fit, um, there, there could be any number of, of things that will lead to an objection. One of the best ways to avoid the objection is for you, the salesperson, to bring it up. And, and by the way, bring it up as early as possible. If, if you go back to the last podcast that I did where I talked about um, taking the mindset of what's wrong with this situation, um, if I know that that somebody's favorite color is blue, but we only have red, I, I want to bring that up early. I, I'm going to say something like, hey, I, I understand that blue is your your color of preference. I, I'm, I'm curious. 
how important is that color in the overall decision? What are your feelings about red? Um, th this idea th that, again, comes from old school sales, that if I wait, if I hold back on all the things that they don't know, well, A, maybe they won't think about it, right? So it won't be an issue. Um, or B, I'll be able to generate so much value or, or deliver a proposition that is so completely clear that, that they'll be wowed by it and their concerns will go away. Yeah, that doesn't really happen. Um, I'm not saying it never happens, but it, that's not a hand that I want to play. And, and remember, again, I talked about this in the last podcast, the only thing I really have is time. The question is, how am I going to allocate that time? So right off the bat, the best way to not have to overcome them is be the one that brings them up. By the way, they're far less powerful. They, they create far less resistance when you, the seller, point them out as opposed to when the prospect, the customer, the buyer points them out. All right. Now, all objections are not created equal. So the way you handle or deal with objections or what an objection means is, is very dependent on the context of the objection. So, so let me share with you six underlying causes of objections. This probably accounts for about 95% of the objections that you get. You'll be able to trace it to one of these six situations, one of these six context, contexts. The first one is there's a wrong fit. There, there's no match there. The, the, the objection is being driven by your solution isn't really appropriate or what you're talking about or what you're recommending isn't right. The second reason is wrong sequence. This is a very common reason for objections. As a matter of fact, this was the reason that the salesperson that I was talking to was struggling to overcome objections. The, the problem was he was doing things in a sequence, in a selling sequence out of order. He was skipping steps. He was going too far too fast, right? He was making recommendations before the situation was actually understood. The third reason is a lack of trust. That could manifest itself in any number of ways. I'm not sure what you're saying. I don't believe what you're saying. Um, I'm concerned about what you're saying. I'm concerned about what I'm seeing. Any number of things can, could be lack of trust. By the way, lack of trust could be driven by, um, especially in a B2B sale, I might be worried about what my superior or what my peer is thinking or what they're going to say and how is that going to happen. Um, the fourth is a lack of understanding. And, and that lack of understanding could be driven by either party. You fail to understand something about them or they simply aren't understanding what you said. Maybe it's maybe it's an objection that's really a question, right? They heard that you only had red, but it turns out, oh, well, if you wait two weeks, we could have blue and two weeks isn't an issue. So it really was just a misunderstanding. It was never really an objection to begin with, but lack of understanding can be a key component. Um, and those lack of understandings are the ones that tend to come up later in the process. And that's when they're the scariest and, and, and sometimes the most difficult to deal with. The fifth reason is a trade-off, right? Sometimes I'm objecting about something that's just, you know, it's a legitimate negative, right? There's something about your solution, something about your recommendation, something about what you're doing that, that, that isn't ideal. Hey, guess what? Your competitors do some things better than you. Your competitors have features or benefits or attributes or whatever that are sometimes better than yours, right? In, in, in which case, you've got to help the, the prospect manage a trade-off, right? Okay, they're better here, but, but not so much here and, and, and help them solve for the whole. 
right? Solve for the problem, not for the detail. And the sixth reason is it's a condition, right? Uh, let me tell you, don't overcome conditions. Conditions are, are requirements. There, there is no overcoming them. Trying to overcome a condition is an awful lot like trying to teach a pig how to sing. It doesn't work. And at the end of the day, you annoy the pig, right? So understanding wrong fit, wrong sequence, lack of truck, trust, lack of understanding, trade-off or condition. Those are the six underlying causes to determine the best way to manage objections. Let's group these causes into three groups because that will drive how you manage them. Here's the first one, process enders. I call them process enders because they end the process. There's no overcoming them. Don't try to overcome them. Your job is to avoid them. The two process enders are wrong fit and a condition. How do you avoid those? By the way, these should show themselves early in the process, right? When you face these objections, every second you spent was a wasted second. You want to be able to uncover these as early as possible so that you can avoid them completely. Here's how to do it. Always be asking these four questions early. Does this person, does this company fit our profile? What is your ideal client profile? And let me tell you, if you don't have a clear ideal client profile, then you are going to be dealing with objections and you're going to struggle with them. Right? They're going to cost you an awful lot of time and an awful lot of energy, which means they're going to place a big drag on what's happening. I, I, I sometimes laugh today when I hear people talking about qualification processes and, you know, is this customer qualified? I was working with a client a few months ago and they were, you know, that they, they sell to companies that are about 200 million to 5 billion. And one of the components that they, that they brought up is, well, we, we need to make sure that they can, uh, you know, that they can afford it, right? Do, do they, do they have budget is, is kind of how, how they refer to it. And I, and I asked the question, I said, is, is there a 200 million company out there or $5 billion company out there that can't afford your solution? Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they can. I'm pretty sure I mean, they're doing 200 million to 5 billion. There's, there's revenue coming through the door. They, they, they've got money to pay for that. Their response is, well, you know, um, yeah, but just because they've, they've got the revenue doesn't mean that they're going to you know, put it towards us. Sometimes they're looking for the cheap solution and they don't understand. Oh, okay. Right. That That's different than can they afford that? That's do they value it? That's a different issue. Right. But if you don't fit the profile, then we want to, uh, you know, we want to avoid the conversation because it's, you know, it's a waste of everybody's time. Right. So. When you come across somebody, your early interactions, first question you ask, does this person, does this company fit our profile? Second question, are they reasonable? I'm blown away by how often salespeople are surprised by the objections that they get late in the process, the demands that are put on them. When the signs showed themselves very, very early that these people were not going to be reasonable. Right. Unreasonable people do unreasonable things. Now, that's part of your persona profile. Right. But but I, I do live by the, the law that says life's too short to work with jerks. 
Um, and, and, and I, you know, my goal is a win-win outcome. And so if the people that I'm dealing with aren't reasonable, then I know the outcomes are unlikely to be reasonable. This is not a hand that I want to play. This is a material issue that's wrong with, with this situation. You see, if you see what I'm getting at, and you combine today's conversations with, with the, la- the conversation from the last podcast, you know, it's not just the customer or the prospect that gets to object. The salesperson gets to object. Doesn't fit. Aren't reasonable. Okay, here's the next question. And, and it's, it's the underlying cause of, of it's the, one of the biggest time wasters for salespeople because they don't ask this question. Is the problem big enough? So this company fits the profile. They seem like reasonable people. Okay. We start talking about a problem. And, and salespeople, we go right into, okay, hey, let me tell you how we can solve this problem. You know, on and on and on and on. But we never stop and ask the question, how big is the problem? Right? I, I think three quarters of sales is helping people understand the size of their problem. Right? That's one of the reasons I'm going to talk about slowing down the sales process is to help people understand, you know, spend more time helping people understand the, the impacts, the causes of the problem that they're facing. And all of a sudden, budget gets treated differently. The, the conversation becomes different. Right? So is their problem big enough? And does their problem align with what we do? Does it align with your solution and how you do it? Right? Don't put round pegs in square holes or square pegs in round holes. Right? Wrong fits or conditions you want to walk away from as politely and professionally as you can as fast as possible. And, and better yet, you don't want to even encounter them. Right? Group one, wrong fit conditions, those are process enders. Okay, here's the second group. Misalignment. These are objections caused by a misalignment between the seller and the prospect. When you come when you confront a misalignment objection, it is almost always a symptom of a sales mistake that you made. The misalignment objections are the ones caused by sequence. You're out of sequence or there's a lack of trust. The reason for these objections is that you skipped steps in the process, right? Remember, our job is more to manage a decision than anything else. And when people are making decisions and they skip steps in a decision process, it increases decision reluctance. It increases fear. So these are objections triggered by fear And fear-based objections are very, very hard to deal with. They're very, very hard to overcome because they're not really objections. They're the logical rationalization of an emotional discomfort. Right? And so I call them ghost objections because every time you think you have them, There ends up not being anything there, and it just shows itself as something else, as something else, as something else. So it is important that you prevent these objections. So in group one, you avoid them. That's your objective. In group two, you prevent them. How do you prevent misalignment objections? First law of sales, first principle of sales. Slow down the sales process to speed up the sales cycle. Slow down the sales process. Stop jumping so far so fast. 
one of the best ways to do that is be sure that there is a clear distinction between the sequence of your discovery and inquiry, which is the period where you're working to understand their situation, the problem, the cause, the impact, the potential business case, the restraints. You see, any objection that presents itself after discovery or inquiry is driven by the fact that something was missed in discovery and inquiry. Now, again, that is going to happen, right? We're not perfect. We never get to deal with perfect information. But, but our goal is to understand that and uncover that as early as possible. And, and by the way, that means we, we understand scenarios. You know, I, I've learned when something happens six or seven times, it, it's there whether someone says it's true or not. Right? So, so I let my past experience guide my understanding of where might there be concerns. Again, this plugs into what I talked about in the last podcast of identifying what's wrong with this situation. So clear distinction between discovery and inquiry and advocacy. That, that, that's where salespeople like to shine. That's when we're making our presentation and putting together our recommendations and, and, and going for the clothes and going for the business. When those two things are conflated or if they're handled out of turn, that's going to trigger these misalignment or sequence-based objections. Note the emotional bank account. If, you're, if your bank balance is low, you're going to get more of these fear objections. If your bank balance is low, depot, make some deposits in the account. And one of the best ways to do that, ask resonating questions. Ask questions that enable your prospect to learn about their business, to learn about their situation, to influence how they see their own situation. Those are powerful, relevant questions that dig deeper. And to do this, you should be following a sales roadmap, right? What is your sales process? Your sales process should be designed to mitigate and eliminate these fear-based, sequence-based misalignment objections. Okay, the third group, those are the ones we respond to. Those are objections driven by a lack of understanding on either party or where a trade-off is involved. So let's talk about how you respond to those objections. First part, three do's and a don't. Don't argue, don't convince, don't attack. And, and remember, arguing, convincing, attacking, that's in the eye of the beholder. Right? Sometimes we're arguing, convincing, and attacking, and we don't mean to. We're, we're, we're passionate. We care. We just want them to understand. It's very important that we take a step back when responding to objections. The three don'ts. Don't argue. Don't try to convince. Don't attack. The do. Be empathetic. Seek to understand the objection. Don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. Now let's talk about the process of responding to them. Your job is not to overcome the objection. Your job is to guide or facilitate the resolution. And that's not just being semantical. Here's what you do. First thing, confirm that there is, that it's actually an objection. This is kind of something you do in your own head, right? Remember, sometimes it's just a simple question. Here's a great example. We get it all the time. Implementation is going to take 10 weeks. 
well, well, wait a second. Is that an objection? And and I used to do that. Hey, well, um, you need to understand. And you know, without realizing it, I was in the arguing and convince mode. And and I'm never surprised how often I actually make it an objection. Right? Oh, well, you know, there, there's a reason that it's not faster. And I actually put it in their head. Wait, it, it should be faster. You'd be surprised how many times the answer is yes, and they go, okay. Right, so, so we want to make sure that we're separating objections from questions. Be sure to hear them out. Practice the four-second rule. The four-second rule is you need four seconds of, of silence before you say something. So you ask a question. And by the way, when you ask a question, at the question mark, stop talking. The, the, the number of times we ask a question and then go immediately on to try to explain something or clarify something and, and we never give somebody the opportunity to actually respond. When, when, you know, when we do that, we're, we're taking away even more trust and we never actually get the real answer. So here's what you do. The objection or what you perceive to be the objection is delivered. You want to feed it back. So, so repeat it to them, you know, not verbatim, but you want to feed it back to make sure, did I, did I get this right? right? So the question is about the overall implementation and, and, and you want to, um, you're asking, is, is this going to take 10 weeks? So did, did I understand that correctly? Now, frankly, the implementation is going to take 10 weeks. It's a little bit too simple for this example, but it, it'll still work. They go, yes. Next step. Ask them to expand on it. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're asking or what's what's kind of underlying the, the, the question? Right? That, that's where you learn. Sometimes it's just a simple question. Sometimes they, well, you know, we've got a trade show coming up in, in, in seven weeks and we need to get something to the printer in four weeks. And so we were really hoping to be able to address this piece of it, right? And, and all of a sudden the answer is clear. Oh, well, you know what? We can make sure that you're, you know, that that's there in four weeks and so forth. And boom, there's no objection that we're dealing with. There's no back and forth. We're all back in alignment. The next question, you know, so when they expanded on it and, and it's truly an objection, ask about the relative importance. So, so in the overall context of things, how, how does this fit? How important is this? Um, you know, re refer to things that you uncovered in your discovery to, to help them compare to. Uh, in my experience, 80% of objections are done. They're taken care of by this point. The, the customer answers their own, their own objection. Um, you, you'll probably be surprised if you haven't done this many times how often at, at the feeded back and asking them to expand, they kind of interrupt themselves midway through and they go, you know what, I guess it's not really important after all. And you move on. Now, at this point, if it hasn't been taken care of, this is where you facilitate the conversation, right? This is where you have to deal with the objection. And again, you 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 should have some framing based upon the discovery that, you, that you've done. Remember, you want to keep the focus on the desired outcomes, keep the focus on solving the problem not on specific feature sets, if you will, and help them understand and manage the trade-offs. As you wind it down, confirm that the issue's been taken care of, close it out and move on. 
don't spend more time on it. So for example, when the customer says, eh, you know what, after thinking about it, it's not really that important, go, okay, hey, great. And move on with your plan. All right. Through the entire process, what you want to make sure of when you're dealing with objections is be professional. Remember, your job isn't to overcome objections. Your job is to help people manage decisions, manage and make decisions so that they can address a clear set of problems in a way that produces win-win outcomes for both you and your customers. Take this approach to managing objections and you'll find you're going to get far fewer of them. Selling is going to get easier. And when you do confront an objection, you'll be able to reinforce the proposition that you bring both personally and organizationally. That is it for today's session. Thanks for joining us on the Sales Genius Podcast. And please, if you have any questions or challenges, don't hesitate to share them. We would love to help you out on a future edition of the Sales Genius Podcast. Until next time, go out and be a sales genius.